Amen. 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 Church, welcome. Uh, you've already been welcomed a few times. I want to welcome you again, especially if you're new here. I am so glad that you're here. It's not an accident. It's not a mistake that, that you're, you're here. Uh, God had a perfect plan to have you here today, and I'm glad that you are here with us. My name is Kevin. I have the privilege and the pleasure of serving as, a, as an elder here at Hope Ottawa, and today I have the joy of bringing you um, God's Word today. And today, church, we celebrate Good Friday. We celebrate Good Friday remembering the sacrifice of Jesus Christ over 2,000 years ago, coming to earth, taking on human form to live and then to die a brutal death that he did not deserve so that we could be forgiven for our sin, which separated us from God. And now you might be saying to yourself, I get the Friday part in Good Friday because here we are and it's Friday. But what about the good part? What about the celebrate part? What about that? Well, let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles today to our text. Our text is found in Isaiah chapter 53. Now, if you don't have a Bible, there are ushers coming around right now. Put your hand up high. You will need a Bible today. And if you don't have a Bible at home, that is a gift for you. You keep that. Take that home with you so you can be in God's Word every day. It is a pleasure to give that to you. Our scripture today is a prophecy. And what's that? What's a prophecy? A prophecy is a miraculous revelation from God. Right? So this is a word from God. It's a prophecy that was given about Jesus, and it was written more than 700 years before he was born as a human. More than 700 years. So that's like 2,700 years ago from today. And more than 700 years before he was born. Now how do we know that this was about Jesus? Well, many prophecies in Isaiah were fulfilled in the relative short term compared to 700 years. And many prophecies were fulfilled in the short term. Uh, but this passage, among others, speaks specifically about Jesus and about his life. And in fact, uh, Scripture itself testifies to this. In the New Testament, we see this very passage spoken about in Acts 8, 26 to 40. It tells us how the Holy Spirit guided Philip to speak to an Ethiopian man who was sitting in his chariot reading this exact passage and, and just pondering what on earth could it mean. And, and, uh, and Philip was able to share the good news of the gospel with this man, saying that this has been fulfilled in Jesus only just, just possibly like days or maybe a month before. And what happened? This man believed and was baptized. See, this is our big idea for today. You'll see it on the screen. This is our big idea. Jesus died in your place, but you must believe in him to be saved. Let's stand. Would you stand with me and let's read Isaiah 53, verses 1 to 6. We can read it together. Verse 1, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief." 
And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Now, churches, we've already heard this is a prophecy written more than 700 years before it became fulfilled in Jesus in his birth. But let's get a little bit more context on the time of writing, the time that Isaiah is writing here. You see, Israel was in yet another very dark time. They had times of faithfulness, times of joy and delight and obedience in God, and many, many times of disobedience. This is a time that's very dark in their history. There was corruption, sin, idolatry, and an increasing turning away from God, turning away from his way to go their own way. And this is dominating their society. And if that sounds a little familiar to you in our day, I, I think that's, that's probably pretty accurate, a turning away from God and his way. You see, in chapters 1 to 39 of this book, in the first sort of half of this book, Isaiah has just proclaimed that as a result of their sin, God is now coming upon them in judgment. But the tone changes here in chapters 40 to 66. In the last half, the tone changes, and Isaiah is offering them hope, right? Hope for salvation and deliverance from evil. Here in chapter 53, what we see right in the middle of that, we see that this hope has a name, and this hope's name is Jesus. He was their only hope then, and we'll see today that he is our only hope now. I trust from this passage today, you'll see three truths about Jesus, who he is, what he's done for us. This is our big idea here. Remember this, Jesus died in your place, but you must believe in him to be saved. The first point we want to see from our scripture today, it's going to be in the first three verses here, the person of Jesus. He is our humble Savior. You see, Jesus Christ is being revealed to us. He's been revealed as fully God, fully man. But the question is this, will you humble yourself before him? Verses 1 to 2, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. See, Jesus is our humble savior. He is, number one, God incarnate. The scripture here says, who has believed that's a rhetorical negative. It's saying not many people believed. Not many people believed then. Not many people believed in Jesus' day. And, and look at our world of, of who believes now. Few believed. Who has believed what he has heard from us? That can also kind of be translated as, like, as what we have heard. Who has believed what Isaiah has heard about God? That's the, that's the promises from God in Scripture, the acts, the will of the Lord. 
Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The arm of the Lord here, the action of the Lord, this is, this is singular. You're going to see this a lot in this scripture. The arm of the Lord is actually in singular language. It means, yes, the will, acts, power of God proclaimed in scripture, but it refers to a person, the arm of the Lord. That person is Jesus Christ. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? You see, Jesus was revealed then in prophecy. That's the expectation of him coming. And today, he has been revealed to us in history. That's the incarnation. That's our hope, our hope in him. Verse 2, for he grew up before him like a young plant. What does that mean? It says he and him there, right? Look at your Bibles. It says, for he grew up before him. Well, who is that? Well, this is he, that's Jesus. Jesus grew up before him, that's God the Father. We're seeing a, a picture of the Trinity here, the triune God. He grew up before him like a young plant and a root out of dry ground. See, Jesus came to earth like a young plant, a humble baby. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, right? A human baby, not just human-like, but a human baby, fully human, fully God at the same time, a mystery that is so profound and we don't understand, but we know it to be true. God had a perfect and divine plan and a timetable for him to grow up. We'll look at the text here. It doesn't say he grew up like a, a strong tree out of a fertile field. No, he grew up like a root out of dry ground. He had no status. He had no earthly riches. He was poor all his life. In fact, he was raised by a single mother by, by, by the time he was probably 12 or 13 years old. His father died, which in those days was the income in the house. Right? He grew up poor. He had no worldly impressiveness. This is God incarnate. We see he is our humble savior. He is God incarnate. He is also God rejected. Verse 3, it says this. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was despised and rejected, considered worthless, not worthy of any attention, not worthy of even, even passing by and going, oh, look at him, like not worthy of any attention. Someone you just, and keep walking. A man of sorrows. Again, we see this, just like the arm of the Lord refers to a person, this, this, the language here, in the original language, a man of sorrows, it's not a man who was also sorrowful. It's, a, it's like a title. It's a man of sorrows. It's one person, and his name is Jesus, the one prophesied by Isaiah to suffer for the sins of others. Those others are us. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. He was acquainted with grief, well acquainted, not just grieved once or twice, but, but one who knows grief very, very well. Grief over sin and its consequences and grief over the response of those who he came to save because many would reject him and we esteemed him not. We didn't have respect for him. We didn't honor it. To sum it up, it's this. Jesus is the full revelation of God. The full revelation of God in human form, but we rejected him. 
You see, Jesus is described here as a, a young plant in dry ground. You're going to see an image here on the screen. Think about it. Like, does, that, does that look like someone who can, who can save you? Does that look like something that could sustain you? Does it look like that's a, good, a full meal that could even sustain you for a little while? Does it look like it has any, any kind of medicine it could heal you with? I, I don't think it can support itself, let alone me. This is the image of our Savior. It doesn't look like it could do anything to sustain you if you needed it to. But in the same way, listen, if you're expecting the prophesied Savior and Messiah, right, are you not expecting him to meet your standards of beauty and power? Are you not expecting him to meet your thoughts of how he should be? Earlier in Isaiah 9, Jesus is called when it's the proclamation of his, of his birth that he would come, right? In Isaiah 9, he's called the prince of peace. What would a worldly prince have? How do you identify a worldly prince? Clothes, right? Status, title. Got to have a palace, obviously. There's no, you're not even a prince if you don't have a palace, right? He's got to have power. That's, that's how we would define a prince, right? He's called the prince of peace. That's literally a name of his. You see, Jesus Christ has been revealed as fully God, fully man. Will you humble yourself before him? Because God's standards of value, they're not the world's standards. They're not the world's standards of value. The world values what we have, what we can control, what we can show off, right? What we can show off, but God values this, humble hearts who desire him above all else. See, this exact verse here, these first couple verses are cited by Jesus himself later in John 12, 38, as a reference to the rejection of the gospel by the Jews, the very people to whom this prophecy was first revealed. And why was he rejected? Well, it's because he had nothing worldly attractive about him, but he had everything wholly attractive about him. Everything in perfect, holy majesty, and we missed him. He humbled himself to serve instead of demanding to be served. He called out sin in the heart out of love and out of truth for our good and for God's glory, which is why we were even created. It's the best thing for us to glorify God. He called out sin in the heart, and that's uncomfortable if what you want is your glory but it's necessary if what you want is God's glory. Who has believed what we have heard? You see, Jesus has been revealed today. He's been revealed in this scripture. He's being revealed right now in this scripture. He's revealed each week here at Hope Ottawa. If you come on a Saturday night, the truth of who God is is revealed every night. He has been revealed Will you recognize who he is and will you humble yourself before him? Let's pray. Lord, who has believed what, what we have heard and what we have been told? And Lord, this, this belief is in who you are, what you've done for us. You, God, our humble Savior who came, God incarnate, but we rejected you. You, God, who are holy and mighty and have everything holy, beautiful about you. God, I pray that today we would see you as beautiful, 
Because your way is not our way. Your way is perfect and our ways are steeped in the sin that separated us from you. But thank you that you came to save us. Thank you that you came to save us. Church, this is the person of Jesus, our humble savior. Let's stand and respond now in song as we prepare our hearts to hear next of what Jesus has done for us. Let's stand and let's sing.
Church, Jesus died in your place, but you must believe in him to be saved. Please take your seat. We've seen here, Jesus died in our place. He is our humble Savior, our humble Savior. And the second thing, I trust that you'll see, this is who he is, what he's done. The work of Jesus, our humiliated substitute. You see, Jesus was humiliated so that you could be forgiven. But the question before all of us is this, I can say it, but will you believe it? Will you believe it? He was humiliated for a purpose that you could be forgiven, that I could be forgiven. Look back in your Bibles, Isaiah 53, verses 4 to 5. I love that we, we read this beforehand as well. It's good to read again because this is the truth of what he has done for us. This is the truth of the, the, the radical act that he did on our behalf. Verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him, how? Stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced. Pierced, not metaphorically, literally pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds, we are healed. In verse 4, it says, He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. There are two big truths we can take from that. Number one, he knows us. He cares for us. He has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. He knows us very well. But number two, we see this. He has borne the same griefs, carried the same sorrows that we have carried. You see, Jesus was tempted in every way that we are tempted, yet without sin. He knows us. He sympathizes with us in our weakness. He knows what it's like to be human. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to be tempted with comfort. He knows what it's like to be tempted with escaping pain. He knows this, yet without sin. But what was our response? Look back at your Bibles. Verse 4, yet we esteemed him. Esteemed means we viewed, we regarded him. We saw him smitten, struck down by God. Verse 5 here, it says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. That word right there, that but, that's a really important word. Don't just skip over it saying, but anyway, that but, it connects us here. It says, this is what happened, but despite our response, despite our response to him, because of his great love for us. 
but he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. Transgressions there means this. It means every sin of ours, all of our sin. That's every thought, every action, every attitude that doesn't show or conform to the perfect and holy character of God. An impossible standard. But yet every iniquity, right? Every iniquity, wherever we fall short, is sin. Anytime we don't do what we should or we do what we know we shouldn't. You see, on him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Chastisement there means the punishment, the just consequence of sin. You see, God is holy and God is perfect. He is perfectly just. And sin has very real consequences, church. You see, he paid the penalty for sin. Paying a penalty for sin is necessary if God is to be just. And so if we're forgiven, it was necessary for Jesus, who never sinned, and he did not deserve death, to die in our place out of love for us. This was voluntary. He died for us voluntarily to pay what we deserved, but a price we could never pay because it required death. And in our death, we are condemned. Jesus died undeserving of death to offer forgiveness. Look back at the text here. It says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement. And what did it do? That brought us peace. It brought us peace. You see, in sin, church, we are enemies of God. In sin, we are enemies of God. But by believing in Jesus Christ, this is the only way, by believing in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us, his righteous life and his atoning death. Now, what does that mean, atoning? Atoning means he paid the price. His atoning death, in that God looks at us through the perfect lens of his son, Jesus Christ. And in place of our sin, he sees Christ's righteousness. In place of our deserving death, he sees Christ as having paid it all. But you see, this only happens, church, if we recognize our need for him. And if we believe in him, that's the only way this happens. You see, we asked the question earlier, why is Good Friday good? What's so good about Good Friday? Look, here's a big part of the answer. You'll see it on the screen. Jesus took my place. Good Friday is good because Jesus took my place. God has a good and perfect plan since before the beginning of the earth. God had a good plan to save us. You see, look back at the text. It says this, with his wounds, we are healed. How can wounds possibly heal? You see, the wounds inflicted on him in punishment, the wounds inflicted on him in death on the cross, whipped and beaten beyond recognition, nailed to a cross, hung there to suffer. These wounds are ironically the very means by which we were saved from our spiritual wounds of sin and of separation from God. He paid a heavy price so that we could be forgiven. You see, Jesus' physical pain was intense, 
and it was brutal. You can't minimize that, church. You can't minimize that. Crucifixion was, was the reason the Jews requested crucifixion. They actually had the, the authority under Roman law to put Jesus to death. They could have put him to death by stoning. They were allowed that under Roman law. The reason he was put to death by crucifixion was because, first off, it was a, a, an especially humiliating death. But second, it was an incredibly gruesome death. So Jesus' physical pain was intense and brutal. You can't miscount that. But it had no comparison to this. His spiritual agony over sin and enduring the wrath of God on our behalf. No comparison. You see, Jesus was humiliated so that we could be forgiven. But will you believe this? It's one thing for me to say it. Will you believe it? And it's not me saying it, it's God's word saying it. Will you believe the very word of God that says this? You see, it was only out of his great love for us. We don't deserve to be saved. None of us deserves to be saved. God would have been perfectly just in punishing us for the sin that we committed. It's our sin. God would have been perfectly just punishing us. He is perfectly just punishing us for the sin we committed. But out of love, you see, Jesus came. And number one, you see in verse four, he paid the penalty for sin. This is every sin that was ever committed, every sin that will ever be committed by those who believe in Jesus. Every sin that was committed by everyone who will be saved. You see, not all will be saved, but all who believe in Jesus will absolutely be saved. So first, he paid the penalty for sin. Second, he now offers peace with Jesus, with God, sorry. We see this in verse five. He offers peace with God. If we believe, God now looks at us and sees Christ's perfect righteousness in our place. Do you have peace with God? Do you have peace with God today? If you've not believed, you don't have your peace with God. If you've believed, you have peace and you have joy and you have security knowing that Jesus died for every sin you ever committed or will commit. Do you have peace with God today? Let's pray. Lord, surely you have borne our griefs. You know sin, yet you did not sin. You were tempted without any sin. But you came and lived a perfect life so that we could, could be with you in eternity. You died so that we could be saved from the penalty of death which we deserved. We deserve this, but God, you saved us out of your great love for us. Lord, this is, this is profound that you would love us so much. There is no greater love and Lord, we can't even comprehend this because your love is perfect. Lord, I pray that today that, that, that we would see how loving you are and that we would respond in delight in you, Jesus. Lord, I pray all of these things in your name and church, let's stand now. Let's worship God together as we consider very carefully our response to Jesus.
He who died with sinners in blood Walked across the pages of time He who made every living thing Behold Him He who heard humanity's cry Left His throne to work as a child he became like the leaves the rose. Behold him. Jesus, Son of God, Messiah, the Lamb, the Roaring Lion. Oh, be still and behold him. sinners and saints heal the blind the lost and the
and behold him. Let's just sing that one more time. Jesus, Son of God. Jesus, Son of God, Messiah, the Lamb, the died in your place, but you must believe in him to be saved. He is our humble savior, our humiliated substitute. And finally, we see this. What will your response be? What will your response to Jesus be? Will you believe and will you turn to him? You see, everyone will respond to Jesus. Everyone will respond to Jesus in one way or another. What will your response be? Will it be belief or will it be rejection? Turn in your Bibles with me to verse 6. Let's, let's read this. Let's see the great thing that he has done, but what our response must then therefore be. Verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, all we have turned away. You see, we have to acknowledge and understand our sin that made the sacrifice necessary for us to be saved. How can we believe for salvation if we have no idea what we've been saved from? How can we believe for salvation if we have no idea we're guilty of that sin? We're guilty of the consequence, the penalty of that sin We have to first understand why and what we've been saved from. See, it says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. Romans 3.23 says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us has sinned and is guilty for that sin. But we see this. This is the hope right here. We have turned Everyone to his own way. Look at your Bibles. What does it say here? And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, Jesus is the one who decided to save us. He did it voluntarily out of love for you. He didn't have to come. There's nothing that necessitated him saving us. But because of the great love with which he loves us, he he chose to come and save us. It says this, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I want you to hear the urgency here. The iniquity of us all was laid on him. John 3.18 says this, we all know John 3.16, that God so loved the world. But John 3.18 tells us the truth about that. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, 
But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. See, church, hear this. If you don't believe in Jesus, if you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation as, him, as the only way to be saved, the only way, not one of many, but the only way to be saved, if you have not put your faith in Jesus, you do not have peace with God, that peace that we talked about Forgiveness, you'll see this on the screen, forgiveness is for all who believe. All who believe, but it is only for those who believe. Romans 10.13 tells us this truth. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Church, that's a joyful thing. Today when you hear this, don't harden your heart. But believe and you will be saved. That's a promise from God. It's not you might be saved. Forgiveness from Jesus Christ is perfect and it is for those who believe in him, who call on his name, who confess their sin, their need for him, and who believe in him for salvation. You see, today we live in a world that proudly declares that we can go our own way. We can live however we want to. We can be, this is the biggest lie here. We can be our own truth. My truth is what's important. Whatever I say truth is. Well, what's true for you might not be true for me. There's an objective truth and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him, through the mighty name of Jesus Christ. This world tells us, be our own truth, be our own God even, and we'll find true life. This is a tragic lie, church. This is a tragic lie. Just look around for a moment, and you'll see very clearly that the inevitable end of following our own way is destruction. And of course, you see, that's the just penalty for our sin. To turn your own way is this. You can only, if you turn your own way, you are turning away from Jesus. You see, whether you realize it or not, the question we asked before, everyone will respond to Jesus one way or another. What will your response be? Will it be belief for salvation and eternity with him or rejection and eternal separation? For the unbeliever, it's, it's this, it says, look at your Bibles. We have turned everyone to his own way. This life is short and, and church, when it's over, that's it. This is your chance. This life is short, and when it's over, your chance has passed. Will you decide to turn today to Jesus? Make your peace with God, confessing your sin, confessing your need for his forgiveness, and believing in Jesus' life and his work for salvation. And for, even for believers today, this scripture is for you as well. Even for believers, how often are we going about our day and not turning to Jesus, but instead turning, turning ourselves to our desires, our priorities, our way, our timing, instead of turning to him, the creator and sustainer of life, who controls all things and whose timing is perfect. You see, he is the creator and sustainer of life and the only one in whom we will be fulfilled and satisfied and have true joy. Our way doesn't produce joy. His way does. Our desires don't produce his glory. His way does. 
You see, Jesus died in your place as fully God, fully man. He didn't do this because he had to, but because he loved us so much. And it was the only way for our sins and the penalty for our sins to be forgiven. He did this willingly out of love. Forgiveness is offered to anyone who believes in him. This is why we can call it Good Friday. Because God is good, and this was his good plan from before the beginning of time. This is why we can say we celebrate Good Friday. Because you see, church, don't discount this. We mourn the sin that held him to that cross. You saw that video at the start. We mourn the sin that held him to that cross. But we can celebrate the joy that is in Jesus Christ for eternity, knowing just how much he loves us. Joy in Christ, the only name by which we can be saved. Church, Jesus died in your place, but you must believe in him to be saved. He is our humble savior. He is our humiliated substitute, and he is our hope forever. Church, the 